I'm Andrew Smith, the CEO of the Association of Dental Support Organizations, and this is Thank You for Flossing. If you're looking for bites of wisdom on the future of the dental industry, you're in the right place. Stick around. Welcome back to Thank You for Flossing. We're a month into 2024, and at ADSO, we've been able to hit the ground running, so thank you all for joining the podcast. As many of you know, our industry has seen an unprecedented amount of transformation over the past few years. We have faced new challenges, but also have seen positive developments as DSOs continue to grow. During this episode, we will be discussing 2024 trends in the dental industry, and we have two wonderful guests joining me to really dig into this topic and how it affects our members and the dental industry as a whole. Marco Vujovic is the Chief Economist and Vice President at the Health Policy Institute at the American Dental Association. In his work over the years, Marco has researched some of our industry's most pressing health policies. I'm happy to welcome you to the podcast, Marco, and it's great having a chance to work with you. So welcome. Great to be here. Thank you. Uh, We also have Michael Hogan with us today. Michael is an economic development analyst at RTI International, a nonprofit research institute where he focuses on regional economic diversification and value chain-based strategies. RTI spearheaded the creation of ADSO's recently released State of Dentistry Report on 2024 trends, and we'll talk more about that in the episode. Thanks for being with us, Michael. Thank you so much, Andrew, and it's good to be here with you today. Great. Well, I think we'll go ahead and get underway. Uh, As I mentioned, I'm really excited about this topic because what I hear constantly from many of the folks I talk to throughout the industry, to, you know, policymakers, to dentists to those that are involved within the industry, they're obviously constantly asking about where is the profession going, where's the industry going. Um, and there's just a ton of things out there about what is the future for oral health care. So we're going to obviously jump into that uh, discussion. And so Marco, I'm going to start with you. I always like our listeners to get a little bit of background about each person who joins us as a guest. So can you tell me a little more about your work and how you got involved with in dental research? Sure, thanks. And again, it's great to meet you, Michael, and great to spend some time with you, Andrew. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I guess I still feel, I've been in my role 12 years, but I still don't feel like I've come from the dental world. So I, I've done health policy research my whole career, but previous to working in dentistry, I was in global health uh, at WHO and the World Bank. But in, in, in all these fields, I've really been about bringing data and research to help shape policy and to help people make strategic decisions. So the Health Policy Institute at the ADA, which I have the pleasure to lead, think of us as number crunchers, analysts, statisticians, economists, quantitative people. Uh, We really try to put together the best empirical based picture of what's going on in terms of big picture trends in dentistry. But we also spend a lot of time analyzing and thinking about what's going on outside of dentistry, like in healthcare more broadly, uh, in household trends, in government policy. And like you said, Andrew, try to think ahead and lay out issues for leaders in dentistry, both inside and outside the ADA. But again, all with a little bit of data to them and and based in, in, in strong empirical analysis. So think of it as a think tank focused on oral health. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, 
Marco's work uh, is fantastic. Uh, we've been collaborating on quite a few things, and I know we're going to be collaborating a little more, which is great for uh, the you know profession. So I know we'll we'll kind of tease that out there at some point, but I don't think we'll get into it quite today. But it's it's an exciting opportunity. Marco, what do you see as the biggest trend or issues that you think are defining the dental industry in 2024? And how does this overlap or differentiate from 2023 or years before? So I would say there's one big one, and then I'll highlight two other ones. But a big one is the staffing shortages. Um, so there, there is clear data that we have not moved much on this issue. So, you know, we track data monthly, moving now quarterly. We also look at a bunch of government data through BLS and BEA. And long story short, when you look at the pressure points in dental offices today, staffing is number one. And when you look at how difficult it is for dental practices to fill positions, the data show it's just as difficult today as 12 months ago. So in a sense, we haven't made much progress here on this one. And in a nutshell, why? Number one, we haven't adjusted the training pipeline. So there hasn't been a big response in terms of increased training numbers. Part of that might be due to the fact that the latest wage data show that when you look at hygienists, assistants, and others working in dental offices, their inflation-adjusted wages are actually declining, whereas in other parts of healthcare, they're not. So in a nutshell, the data suggests it's becoming relatively less attractive as a as an occupation to be an assistant front desk worker or hygienist. Um, but anyway, issue number one looking ahead at 2024 is staffing shortages remain intense and we have to think about innovative ways to help practices adjust. Second big trend is continued or I would say accelerated practice consolidation. We can get into that a little more. I use that word loosely. It could be DSOs, it could be other forms of group practice, doesn't matter. There's gonna be fewer dentists working alone and in small groups, and there will be more of them working in some type of consolidated uh, model of practice. And I actually see that intensifying this year. I guess the one thing that popped out different, and this is my third trend, is our latest polling back in December showed roughly two out of five dentists indicating they're very likely to drop out of some insurance network. Now that wasn't something we saw very prevalent the last two, three years when we were co uh, collecting data, but maybe, I, I don't know, I'm gonna put it as a maybe. This could be suggesting that 2024 might be a year where we do see some movement of dentists out of insurance networks. Now, I don't think that's gonna be en masse, I think it's going to be much more of zeroing in, targeting certain plans that maybe aren't as attractive from the provider perspective, focusing on which plans are, et cetera. So I, I call that more of a kind of nuancing or filtering, selective participation versus, oh, I'm going to get out of dental insurance 100%. I don't think that's happening. But, you know, you asked what was different this year. I'll put that one out there. We have not seen those types of numbers in terms of 40% of practices saying they're gonna actively look to drop at least one network, right? Wow. So that's interesting, but we'll monitor that if that actually happens. No, that's a, that's a very significant trend if that is going in that direction. I'd definitely be curious to hear and see how that, that's going. We're obviously seeing that uh, in some instances uh, with, with 
DSOs and, and our members. And you hit the nail on the head on the shortages. We're obviously seeing the same type of things. And I know we'll, we'll get into some discussion points about, you know, how our organizations are looking at tackling those issues. But yeah, uh, you know, shortages remain a, a focal point. One thing I wanted to shift to is we just, you kind of highlighted some of the trends on the profession side. Are you seeing anything about how patients are changing the way the dental industry functions? I mean, obviously, if the insurance aspect you just mentioned continues, that would obviously impact patients. But what trends, if any, are you seeing on, on the patient side? So the broadest one is this intensified consumerism. And you guys have done great work on that as well. Just because we have a demographic transition happening in the U.S., right, with millennials and Gen Z becoming more prominent, right, millennials are now the drivers of the economy. I'm convinced that generation and below will truly be the ones that, I guess, reshape healthcare from that Amazonification, if you want to call it, but basically being much more consumer centric, right? So what does that mean? That means convenience, right? It means booking appointments when I want them as the patient and forget about calling for an appointment better be just a few clicks on either an app or on a website right like that type of thing uh, transparency I want to you know people want to look at quality and price and be able to find that information easily and compare practices yes so I would say you know this is not something that happens overnight Andrew right but it definitely to me is something that year on year I see intensifying. And again, it's driven by that transition away from kind of baby boomer generation patient mindsets to much more kind of millennial and Gen Z patient mindsets with just different expectations around care. And that's definitely coming to dentistry. Yeah, you're 100% correct. I mean, when I talk to many of our supported dentists, they, they always say the patients are focused on cost, care and convenience. Um, and that's, you know, I want to get in today. I don't want to wait until uh, you know tomorrow, or I want I need to come in on on Saturday or, or things like that. So a hundred hundred percent, we're 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 seeing that as well. Um, is there any other type of research that you and your team are focusing on, you know, right now in addition to what you've already described? Are those are those the kind of broad points you're you're looking at? Uh, they are. There's there's some other interesting things um, I think I'd like our, our listeners to be aware of. Um, so obviously, on a whole other topic, um, there's a lot of activity happening in Medicaid and even in Medicare, right? With right. Medicare introducing the medically necessary dental benefit tied to certain healthcare conditions. Um, we're working and watching closely on how that's being implemented and we're trying to analyze um, kind of, you know, what are the basics? Like how many dentists are participating? What's the fee schedule, et cetera? Can we, can we just learn how this is being rolled out? Um, a second big one involves Medicaid and we're working intensely in six states to try to, again, put research together that answers, how do you get more dentists participating? And number two, what are the main pain points for patients? Like, is it genuinely that the Medicaid population can't find providers or is it other things? Like, I can't afford the care, right? And we, we all know there's a patchwork of adult dental benefits. Um, but those are, those are two kind of big areas. A third one is as we continue, and we're gonna work more together on this, as we continue tracking kind of the consolidation trends, um, we'll be updating all the annual data that we collect 
but we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive in in the role of private equity there's a lot of interest in this in broader healthcare, but you know there's just very little data in dentistry like even basically like what share of practices have some form of outside financing in the form of private equity so th this has been done in other parts of healthcare, but in dentistry, you know, we're, we're going to really try to just get some of the basic data together on these issues. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, no, that's that's fan you know fantastic, and I, and I and I think again, what's exciting about our work together is you know moving away from you know how are dentists practicing, kind of we know that, but then the larger issues of you know how are they serving their patients and those areas that are underserved historically and obviously you hit two populations medicaid and the medicare population i'm excited uh about you know those types of patients getting more and more care and it's interesting on the medicare advantage piece we're also looking at that and seeing quite a bit of those that are getting onto medicare this this year a lot of them are moving into medicare advantage and what are those benefits that really allow that population to have good care. So we're, I, I look forward to, to working with you on, on that. That's an important aspect. Um, so just pivoting over to, to, to Michael, uh, why don't you tell us a little about RTI International and the work that you guys do in the healthcare space? Uh, yeah, of course. Thank you, Andrew. Um, so a little bit about RTI. We're a Research Triangle Institute. We are based in North Carolina. Um, I'm based in North Carolina and, uh, we work uh, as an independent applied nonprofit research institute working across a number of different practice areas ranging from, as Marco mentioned, global health, global economic development, uh, environment, longitudinal health surveys, education, et cetera. Um, some people like to describe RTI as being a bit like a, re a, a university without students. Um, when I think about my work and the work of our center, um, I work in a center called uh, Center for Applied Economics and Strategy. Um, and much like Marco, I am also not coming from the dental world or the healthcare world specifically. Um, my work focuses primarily on local and regional development um, with a real strong focus on labor markets, on firm level trends, uh, on demographics, uh, you know, the things that we were mentioning before about wages and economic opportunity. Um, and so our work at RTI is kind of informed by a multidisciplinary process where we, um, you know, much like Marco mentioned earlier, are drawing on data from sources like Bureau of Labor Statistics, looking at firm level data, looking at economic trends, employment and wages across different industries. Uh, and so the lens that we take to our work um, is, is always, and especially in our healthcare work, is looking at it from a um, kind of an economic point of view uh, and seeing what to, uh, where the where the intersections are uh, between healthcare, labor markets, and uh, economic development and economic opportunity. Um, so it's been really the kind of the guiding uh, part of our work, um, bringing in some of RTI's work in healthcare um, and some of the prior work we've done in the past um, in healthcare broadly, uh, in healthcare workforce, and uh, in dentistry. Uh, and so that's the approach that we've brought to this work. Thank you very much. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, ADSO had undertaken a, a, a data collection effort in, in multiple states across the country to really look at, you know, where the state of dentistry is. And, you know, we released that report earlier uh, this month. And it's given us, I think, some very valuable insights of obviously what we're seeing on the ground and what our supportive dentists are, are seeing, as well as, you know, the, the profession generally. 
when we stepped back and really looked into the into the research and the data, we found you know three issues that we've already a little bit discussed here um, that are you know, very important, and that Marco mentioned a few of them before. And so you know that first trend, Michael, is obviously we're seeing you know with hygienists and assistants, and you know it's the issue that's on the radar for both of our organizations for the dentists. Obviously, you can't be a fully functional practitioner without those um, positions. So, Michael, maybe can you just tell us a little more about that and expand on what Marco was saying on those shortages, but what, what you've been seeing with hygiene and, and dental assistance? Yeah, this was something that came up uh, a little bit by surprise because we were looking through um, some traditional, some of the data that we had initially looked at and came across some data from uh, from Marco's group, from the ADA, from the HPI, highlighting that consistently dental practitioners were citing um, difficulty recruiting and retaining hygienists as the pro as in many, most cases their biggest pain point, their number one obstacle um, to uh, to running their business. And so we um, as a result of that, we did a deep dive into the pipeline and the demographics of dental hygienists uh, in the US. And it presents an interesting trend because if we look over the last decade, we've seen a pretty healthy growth in the supply of dentists. We've seen a number of new dental schools opening, um, new graduates coming out of DDS and DMD programs um, all across the US. And we have a large uh, and, and growing young cohort of new dentists. Over that same time period though, we did not see any measurable change in graduates of dental hygiene programs. Um, and so while a decade earlier, there would have been 1.4, 1.5 dental hygienists for each new dental school graduate. Today, that number is closer to one to one. Um, and so dental hygiene graduates have um, been largely flat over the last 10 years. We saw some declines, particularly in 2020 with enrollment um, from the pandemic. Um, and then in 2022, um, in both of those years, I think uh, significant declines in enrollment and graduation. Uh, and so this merited us taking a little bit deeper dive. And, and one of the things that we see is that most dental hygiene programs are offered at uh, our two-year community colleges. And when you look at um, you look at that ROI um, to go to school for two years, to be able to take out uh, not a large amount of debt like you would for a four-year degree, and then go into a career pathway uh, that can offer very competitive wages, good salaries and benefits, um, we see that it's a very attractive profession to go into, um, but we've seen some bottlenecks at the community college level. Um, and as an example, our local community college here in Raleigh, they have an acceptance rate of around one in four applicants for their dental hygiene program. So it's a highly competitive program. Um, and that's a stat we've seen across the U.S. So in 2022, this most recent class that entered into dental hygiene school, the acceptance rate was around 25%. Um, so we have a record number of people applying to go to dental hygiene school because they're seeing that there's a lot of interest in the profession, there's a strong ROI, there's that ability to go into a high-wage career, um, but we have some bottlenecks at the community college level um, that uh, there's some challenges related to getting enough instructors, getting enough facilities, um, having the funding and resources available to run these programs um, because they're very attractive programs. Uh, but they're very resource intensive programs. Um, and as we've seen across the US in many different community college careers, uh, many community college programs, 
they were hit really hard in 2020. A number of community colleges have seen declining enrollment. Um, and so, uh, but along with that, dental hygiene has also uh, been a, it's been fairly consistent, but it has not grown to meet the levels of demand needed from the profession. Yeah, no, I, I think that the, the biggest statistic that kind of stood out to me, what you said just now and in the report was applications for hygiene programs rapidly increasing for all the reasons you said. The ROI, it's a great profession, work-life balance, but yet acceptance was at its lowest level in a decade. And you kind of hit on a few points there. And I think that's really important. Obviously, these programs are costly to run with the amount of money coming in. Um, you know, some of our folks are looking into, you know, the, the faculty student ratio aspect, you know, that's required. Uh, you know, it's, I think it's five to one versus 10 to one. And I think that's an important um, review for, for CODA to look at and figure out, you know, clearly there is a demand for these people to enter in. And we got to, I think, um, work together to, to figure that out. Marco, are you seeing similar things on your side about hygiene and what are you hearing from, um, your, your side of the camp? So like Michael said, I mean, we haven't looked at the application data like he does. That, that was great, Michael. Um, but is, enrollment has not recovered or first year enrollment has not recovered to pre or just has recovered to pre pandemic levels. Like Michael was saying, right. We need way more than that, right. To fill the positions. So I think Andrew, it's important to, to highlight too the work that ADSO and ADA are doing together to advocate and lobby, yes. right? Like you guys are in DC with the D with our DC team. Um, you know, both of us organizations really pushing for increased funding for training, right? At the both at the state and federal level. So I think that's super important, right? Given that there's excess excess demand for that. Um, the only other thing I would add is, and this is a bit of an alarm bell um, that we found in the last round of our polling, right? When we asked, uh, we asked dentists, if you had trouble hiring and you've changed your staffing processes, right? And it was in fact more broadly, we asked them since COVID, have you changed your staffing because of shortages, because of other things? And among those that said, yes, the top thing they did was the dentist stepping in and doing hygiene and administrative duties. And let's say below the top of their license work. So I don't know if we'll get to this, Andrew and Michael as well, but I really, I feel like the, the, the pressures that are coming in practices are for more efficiency and more margin compression. And a response of a dentist doing non-dental duties. Now I get why they happen if you can't find staff, okay. But I'm saying that's really concerning because the pressures are going to basically get leaner. Like it, 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 it's to go, it's to incentivize dentists to get leaner and practices to get more efficient. Like that's part of why I really think consolidation is going to accelerate. Yeah. Because I just yeah. think the margin compression is making it harder and harder. If you're not taking advantage of efficiencies and economies of scale and technology, and that's all much harder to do when you're small. A hundred percent. And I, I know that's one of the, Kind of third trends I wanted to get your perspective on that we'll dump jump into you know momentarily. But Marco, you hit a a good point about the advocacy work ADSO, ADA, and ADHA. The Hygienist Association right, is doing right. around 
around licensure portability, right? So a lot of these um, shortages are also are occurring in states that are very fast growing. And there's, we've seen this huge migration shift. And so the ability for hygienists in particular to be able to have a more free-flowing movement where their license can be applicable in other states is something obviously we're all working on together. So, and that's a huge, huge piece of it. But you're right, the funding side of things and other aspects, we need to kind of delve deeper into to figure this out. Um, makes perfect sense. So, um, Michael, back to you quickly. And I think, you know, this kind of folds into what Marco was talking about and kind of where we're going on consolidation and what we're seeing out of the next generation of the dental workforce. So one of the things we noticed was the changing diverse nature of the profession, especially those that are coming out of dental school and, and younger dentists. Can you kind of give the audience a little bit of an overview of what we've seen from that diversity change? This is a, a, a really... To, I, I think the only way to describe it is it's a generational shift. Um, it really is a, a a sea change in the profile of of what a, of a new dentist in the United States today. When you looked at who was graduating from dental school 30 years ago, this was a workforce that was overwhelmingly men, overwhelmingly white, um, and uh, that shift has been extremely fast um, towards. Uh, a graduating class that, uh, and we look at the data from 2022, um, kind of the most racially and ethnically diverse in the history of the U.S. So, 48% uh, of students uh, identified as as non-white uh, in the most recent graduating class. Over half of graduates were women, um, and we're seeing that the um, kind of the, the the dental school graduate of today is largely reflective of the the college graduate of today. When you look at, uh, at, at across the board, what this is, you know, we we're talking about Gen Z, the kind of the, the new generation that's coming into the workforce is incredibly diverse. Uh, and the it's a trend we've seen shifting over time uh, to the point where if we look at the first year enrollment now in dental school in the United States, it's over 50% women, over 50% students of color. Um, and so it's really, I think the only way to describe it is it's a really profound generational shift in dentistry. And yeah, 100% agree. I obviously see it um, when I go and talk with dental students at the American Student Dental Association, or even when I go into dental schools and see, you know, D3, D4, even D1, just the changing um, demographics. And, and that's a great thing. I mean, I think the fact that more and more people are getting into dentistry who haven't historically been involved is a good thing. And obviously, we've got a great pipeline of of uh, next generation dentists. Um, yeah, Marco, go ahead. And I just uh, maybe put a little caveat or an additional detail on the trends Michael um, highlighted. So it, I think before we celebrate too much, it's right. important when you look within those non-white dentist categories, there's lots of interesting trends going on there, right? So I think when we look at underrepresented minorities historically, let's say like, you know, black dentists, American Native, American Indian, Native American dentists, um, even Hispanic dentists, uh, the, the growth has not been as, let's say, pronounced as Asian dentists. Now look, that's just a detail, right? So the point is yeah. the trends are going in the right direction, like Michael says. But I think in terms of some of these particular categories of underrepresented minorities. I mean, we need, in my view, 
we, we need to do better. Um, 100%. But thankfully, things are going in the right direction. And I'm really glad Michael highlighted the gender shift or the sex shift. Um, it is very pronounced, like Michael said, like it's well over 50. So like 56% of the income in class is female. And Michael hit it right on the head, right? This is reflecting broader trends in higher ed. It's not like there's something super unique in dentistry, right? This is just reacting to the pipeline of who's going to college. All right. So Marco, I, you, you kind of hit one of your core points you mentioned at the beginning was consolidation, right, of, of the dental space and, you know, kind of this next generational, we know it's a generational shift with the new workforce. You guys um, had come out with a report last year kind of showing the changing nature of how dentists today are practicing either in group practices or DSOs and kind of, you know, particularly the younger generation, quite a few are going into DSOs or group practices, some younger dentists are. Um, you've, you've touched a little on it, but could you share some more of the insight that you have on why this shift is occurring in, in your mind and kind of how you see it um, continuing to change? Yeah, and again, I, I, I think there, I put it two main reasons driving this. So number one, like, like you said, right, it's there, there is a provider response, right? Just a different generation of people becoming professionals, right? So they're not necessarily the sole breadwinner in their family, right? A generation ago of dentists, that was much more likely. As Michael said, this is 50-50 women, right? Um, the women dentists are largely, in many households, the sole breadwinner or even the highest earner. So there's different dynamics here. The work-life balance. You mentioned uh, portability, right? Like wanting to move states. This generation is much more mobile instead of like putting down roots and I'm running a practice for 30 years at this same location, right? So there's a lot of that happening just on the, the dentist generational turnover, but I really wanna highlight just the complexity. I use that word a lot. The level of complexity in successfully running businesses in healthcare, not just dentistry, right? But dentistry especially is going up exponentially, right? So. You know, 30, 40 years ago, you put up the proverbial shingle, that's your business plan. Patients showed up, right? That is absolutely not feasible now. You have organizations that there is specific clinical quality functions. There is a need for a vice president of payer relations, somebody that just full-time does that. Marketing requires full-time professional capacity. Can't be the clinicians doing all this anymore. So that's why I'm really convinced like this is kind of one of the last sections of healthcare that is going through this. And I'm not saying good or bad, right? There are pros and cons. Obviously, some people think this is great. Some people think this is horrible. Um, but to me, as an analyst looking at this, like I just see the winds kind of um, more tailwinds to this consolidation because of those two big factors. The other thing to, to highlight, um, Andrew, is this study we did last fall it looked at like turnover or retention within different practice models. You and I talked about this in person. Um, we, we found that over a five-year period, looking at early career dentists, the majority stay in those large group practices, including if it's particularly a DSO or some other type of large group practice. So I think maybe what five to 10 years ago, people thought was like, oh, this is a stepping stone. It's churn. It's a lot of high turnover. Like I really don't see that 
anymore. And I think, you know, you know this more than, you know, well, much more than me, but the whole DSO community and companies have pivoted, in my view, to, to much more retention, career track. We want to keep you long term, equity stake, et cetera. Um, to respond to that instead of like having this very high turnover, which I didn't think, which I don't think benefited anybody. So anyway, long story there, but but the direction to me is a stronger arrow going up in terms of consolidation. Yeah, no, I mean, I think everything we've talked about from, you know, higher wage pressure to more complicated aspects and facets of healthcare, um, you really need a business partner in a lot of respects. And uh, and what I, what I continually see from students, and I'm sure you do too, Marco, is they're very entrepreneurial, right? It's not like the, the it's not like the profession is moving away from being an entrepreneur. It's simply like how you're partnering to do the various facets of the business to be successful, not just for the provider and its team, but also the the patient. So um, I think the biggest thing that we can continue to do is make sure that we're helping solve a lot of these big issues and keeping the industry moving forward. Um, and and so I think we've got a, just a, a few more moments left on the podcast. Obviously, Michael, the report goes into a lot more depth, but is there anything that we've, uh, you know, kind of that you'd want to highlight that we've missed? And then Marco, is there anything else that you want to mention that we haven't discussed? So Michael, I'll start with you. I think that uh, I love everything that we've captured and that Marco has mentioned today. It really resonates. And um, we're seeing, I think it's a lot of the market forces we're seeing across the economy in the U.S. right now are having their effect on on dentistry. Um, The only other one that I wanted to add was um, looking a little bit at geographic migration and, and migration patterns. And we're seeing among early career dentists a real strong move towards uh, sunbelt states. Um, my home state of North Carolina is one of the fastest growing states for dentists in the U.S. Um, and we're seeing a kind of a young generation of dentists that's also very mobile um, and is going to potentially move to another state to find job, job opportunities and find those places where the opportunity is happening. So um, places like North Carolina, Texas, Florida, Arizona, seeing, I think, just really, really rapid growth in population, um, and then also in um, new dental providers moving to those states, new dental schools opening in those states, um, and I think just some really strong growth um, in some of the fastest growth population states in the U.S. So again, following that that demographic and economic trend across the country. Yeah, absolutely. Marco, any other aspects you wanted to mention? Just that it's, I guess it's it's a different angle, not so much on, on 2024 trends, but I really want to highlight, like, I think this is the most exciting time in the history of this profession. I feel like dentistry is becoming recognized as core healthcare, not just in the US, but around the globe. We have so much compelling evidence today that we didn't have 10 years ago, even five years ago on how important oral health is to wellness and overall health, how it's good for the economy, how it helps reduce healthcare costs. And so in my view, like we have this perfect opportunity to really elevate oral health and dentistry uh, because we have roughly at most half the population going to the dentist regular in the US. Like none of us should think that's okay. So I feel like we have this golden age almost coming if we can change some things and really kind of get 
dental care seen as core primary care and get many, many, many more Americans going to the dentist. Now there's lots of things that have to happen to achieve that. But I feel in the next five, 10 years is so exciting, especially with technology coming on and the AI revolution that I think is gonna be amazing for practitioners. Um, and, and again, ADSO and, and I think a lot of the group practices have really been leading the way in innovation and dental, medical integration, et cetera. So I'm super excited. Um, I want to end with that. I think yeah. it's a golden age coming. Uh, no, 100%. And I know you and I and uh, ADA, ADSO are going to continue to look at that, what you just mentioned on the access side. You know, how, how do we continue to provide greater access, um, you know, to, to our patients? And I think that's going to be a really interesting topic. And us being at the forefront of that is is critical. Um, you know, for folks that want to delve deeper into the ADSO State of Dentistry Report, it's on our website at www.theadso.org. Um, it's pretty exciting. We've got it up on some social media channels as well. So uh, please take a look. Um, I want to thank you both. I know how busy you are uh, on everything. And so just thank you for taking uh, the time to be on with me today and, and providing great insights and an analytical thought uh, for our listeners. So thank you both for, for being on. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks. All right. Pleasure, Andrew. Of course. Well, thanks everybody. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you at the next uh, podcast. Thanks. Have a great night. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Thank You for Flossing. I'm Andrew Smith. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss our next episode. And to learn more about how dental support organizations are driving the future of oral health, visit www.theadso.org. That's www.theadso.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next time.